all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 296 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the sewing ribbon, sewing ribbon applique. Applique? Applique! That's what we're doing. The Sewing Ribbon Applique episode of the SLS Cast. Because it turns out that you can actually get yourself a brown Indian handmade floral applique. It's a sewing ribbon applique. And the part number on this is um, SAP296N. That's right, folks. A dozen of them even. You can, you can track that down. And with this wonderful little bit of Indian handmade sewing ribbon applique knowledge, I of course am Matt. And coming to us once again from the great white north in place of Tim would be... <laughs> Sorry, I gotta do the great white north thing. Hi folks, I'm Johnny White Trash. Shout out to Bob and Doug McKenzie, I guess. Now, I... I don't want to do this just in case it goes terribly. You can edit it out if you have to. But when you say Indian, you mean like, like, like the ones like like Indians or the ones that we started calling Indians. I am not one hundred percent. I am uh, because the website that I found this at is called IndianBeautifulArt.com, and I'm not really sure exactly what that means. Huh. Um, I mean, I suppose, let's see here. Nope. Nope. Just, just ask about the, uh, and they're, know. they're in New York. So that doesn't really help. Yeah. yeah that doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm not a hundred percent sure. Neither am I. Well, like, you know, it's part of the mystery. It's part of yes. the mystery of, of the episode titles. That's really what it boils down to. Hit, hit us up on mystery. Twitter. Yes. You can, of course, hit Johnny up at White Trash Show, and you can hit us up at the SLS cast to find out. If you want to, you know, send an email about this thing, if you find out some more in-depth uh, info, you can send an email to the show at slscast.com. And, uh, of course, as you know, Johnny's with us because Tim is on vacation. We're still in half-assed mode, as it were, half-assed, because we only have me and not Tim. Though... Through the power of the internet, as uh, Boogie2988 would say, we Aww. will be able to have Tim's lovely voice. He's going to be sending in his movie reviews. So we're going to actually be able to feel the Timness, as it were. Maybe that'll be the episode title, Feeling the Timness. No, it's not. It's just going to be half-assed <laughs> part two, because... We've, we've started, I've started a trend already. So that's just how that's going to work. But Johnny, thank you so very much. Johnny White Trash of the Johnny White Trash Show. Thank you again for filling in, at least for the front half. The, uh, Johnny's only going to be with us while we do this, uh, the, the, the intros here and our little banter, as it were, and then helping me with the news. But how the hell are you, sir? Well, now I'm confused because if I'm only on half of the half-ass show, does that make me quarter-assed? It does. It's it's more like you're you're just the ah ah or ah and, and ah. you can and you can you can actually fill in the ass at that point or even f- and now you can be trendy and hip again because now you're quarter aff. So, oh, I, hey! I, actually, I did a DNA test. It's one percent aff, but we'll get. To- <laughs> <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> okay, nice. so so far, I've, I've, yeah, 
the the guy who calls himself white trash is just bringing up random races. So this is uh going to go well, I think. Help me. Boogie2988. I like him. Shout out to him. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely really cool. And I want to say he's down to like 450 or something like that. He's lost like 200 pounds or something. Yeah, no shit. He uh I think he I think he broke the 300 mark when I was pay- like So he's so he's in the 300 range or he's now under 300. Shit, I can't remember. I know he's under 4. Which, when you're like, you know, like that's, I, I think he, I think he, he did hit three. Cause I've been kind of watching his vlogs and stuff. I think he like, he lost sure. like a whole, well, <laughs> he lost and a whole. For those meet. of you who are wondering just exactly what the hell we're talking about. Um, so Boogie2988 is a YouTuber and Twitch streamer and just all around social media personality who has been making videos for the past six or seven years now. Um, he kind of became, uh, came famous through his alter ego. That is just this big fat guy who's throwing fits all the time. Francis, I think is his name. Yeah. Right? He, yeah. The Francis sketches. Well, the, the, the Francis. And, and again, this is an alter ego. This is not actually him for real. And he, he is a guy that uh, was in the neighborhood of 600, 650 pounds and had never really been able to get his weight under control. Uh, it did ultimately, I think, factor into costing him his marriage. I don't think that was the sole reason, but uh, I do believe that factored into eventually costing him his marriage uh, because he'd been big his whole life. Well, and he's had a lot of uh, uh, mental struggle too. Like, he, if you go watch oh, his yeah. channel, he's, uh, again, he's I'm... very open about it, and which I True. appreciate. Or I appreciate. True. I love stuff like that. So, at any rate, though, he did get the gastric bypass and all that good stuff. And so, since he's gotten the gastric bypass, that is what we're referring to because now he's lost all this weight, and we're just trying to get an idea. But uh, it's really, uh, you know, again, just like Johnny said, he's very, very open about this stuff. He does, uh, he he does before and after photos and things of that nature. So, yes, it is a very, very large man who is showing you his body, uh, not full nude or, or anything like that. Right. But, but. So, if, so, so if that is interesting to you or if you'd like to see those kinds of progress picks, then, again, Boogie2988, whose catchphrase is coming to you live once again through the power of the Internet, which is really cool because the way he says that, it always reminds me of my father-in-law. Because he would say things like that all the time, and it's just nice to have. It's nice to have that touch, right? Out there, right. You know, in the in the ether, as it were. So I I, I definitely dig it. But yeah, so you're doing well. I am doing well. Uh, working with the uh, within the confines of school. I'm getting kind of done with all this reading. I, if I, I I I think I might take like a reading break come December. When I'm finally done with school, in which I will not read a book for as long as humanly possible. Now, I'll still probably do my audiobook thing, and my, and obviously I'll be listening to podcasts because, hey, I, I love that stuff. But if I don't have to pick up another book for the rest of my life at this point, I kind of feel like it'll be too soon. May I, may I make a recommendation? Sure, sure, please. Because I, I, I used to read a lot, and then I, then I stopped, and then I kind of wanted to get back into reading, and... I fell off of it again, but like when I got back into reading, I started with, I was at Walmart and I saw a few R.L. Stein. I can't remember if it was Fear Street or Goosebumps, but like just sure, like, sure. you know, really like 
you know, they say 12 year old reading level, but it's probably lower, but there, there's something <laughs> comforting about the, uh, yeah, you know, Arlstein did not write the thousand books that are his name are on, but there's something just rewarding about just like, Oh, I finished that book in two hours. It was great. You know, and, and for <laughs> a guy like you, probably a half hour. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up. One of the things that I do when I'm volunteering at my kid's school is I read to all the different grade levels. And I, and I do mean, I, well, except for fourth grade. I don't know what it is about fourth grade. These, these kids just don't like me or the teachers don't like me. I'm not sure what it is. But, uh, yeah, I literally read to every grade level with the exception of fourth in an elementary school. So I'm, you know, K, one, two, three, and five. When, when I'm hitting the third and the fifth graders, actually I do get one class of fourth graders. Another thing about it. I'm doing chapter books now. And these kids, and so I come up and I'm reading a particular chapter book for these older groups of kids. And like one of them that I'm reading is literally called The Adventures of Wedgie and Gizmo. And Wedgie is, I'm serious, it's great though, I mean, because it, it is like you say, it is such a mind-numbing experience that it becomes, instead of it being boring and and silly because it's so simple, yeah. it's just easy to absorb and it becomes fun just to read something so simple. For example, Wedgie is a corgi who believes he has superpowers and uh, actively wears a cape. And Gizmo is a guinea pig who believes himself to be an evil genius. The story <laughs> is told, the story is told be- between the differing viewpoints of Wedgie and Gizmo. And naturally, I have to do the voices for the characters and everything because that's just what I do. But, but the actual. No, 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 no. You're not getting away with saying book, I do voices and then just move on. I have to hear this. You got it. You got it. Come on. Do a little bit for me. A little bit of the voices. A little bit, please. A little bit, please. Please. Oh, fine, fine, <laughs> fine. You're going to have to wait, though. I got to go get the book. Oh, so. you through the magic the of editing, through the magic of editing, this is only going to be like nothing. But in real time, this is going to take like 20 seconds. So <laughs> bear sorry. with me. I'm sorry. All right. Are you ready? Is your body ready? <laughs> I can hardly wait for this. <laughs> All right. So the opening chapter here uh, starts with Gizmo. Now, remember, Gizmo is the evil genius guinea pig. And he sounds a little bit of something like this. I'll just read you the first paragraph here. Greetings to you, dear reader. My name is Gizmo. As you've probably heard, I am a genius. However, I am not a regular sort of genius, the kind who solves math problems or wins spelling bees. I am an evil genius with an evil plan. Oh yes, it's true, a dastardly evil plan. But for now, my evil plan must wait, because I find myself in a most unpleasant situation. Now, that's Gizmo, and uh, Wedgie the dog. Hang on here, i got to try and find... Wedgie the dog. Okay, so, uh, because they, they jump back and forth between the chapters. So, this is Wedgie. I'll read the first paragraph here of Wedgie. What a great day! I love this day! I wish every day could be like this day! I got half a waffle, and some toast crust, and a cup of kibble. I drank all the water from my bowl, I lit the shower floor, and I ate a dead fly. Now I'm standing at the door. It's time to go on patrol. Hello! Let's go, people! Let's go outside! Yes! Yes. So, I love that, thank that you was... for that. That was great. I <laughs> I enjoyed the living shit out of that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I could be there for you. But, I'm officially uh, on par 
with the great school kids you read books to now. Like, this officially <laughs> happened. Like, I knew you were, like, smarter than me and more educated and all of that. But now it is, like, officially, like, grades, like, double-digit years worth of education apart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, in that case, you would love my Piranhas Don't Eat Bananas book. This is a... <sighs> Uh, book about, a book about piranhas, and one of the piranhas, his name is Brian, he tries to get all of the other piranhas to eat fruit and vegetables instead of people. <laughs> and so, he- Oh my god! And, and, the, all I have in my head is like, like, have you ever been attacked by like an, an aggressive vegan? Like, not all vegans are aggressive, but some <laughs> are. Like, I just see that, like, like, you're not really gonna eat people, are you? Like, they have feelings, bro. Like, you, you uh. just can't eat feel it. Like, like, you know, like, like, if the whole world just like would switch to fruit and vegetables, like, it would just reduce our carbon, pr- our f- uh, carbon footprint. And like, like, I could just, like, this is what I hear with the promise. No, no, it's, it's, I, I, I truly have, uh, been lucky enough not to come across the, the violent vegan. Um, but. Well, you are in Texas. They're probably a rare breed down there. I would, I, I would believe it. I, I don't go to Austin frequently enough to find them, but uh, yeah, but, but he, it, he talks like this. Brian, the piranha talks like this. He's, uh, he's kind of like my interpretation of, um, I think it's Sid from Ice Age. I think, I don't know. But anyways, yeah. So oh, yeah, he, yeah. he sounds like this. He says, uh, he says, Hey guy, would you like a banana? That. <laughs> That's yes. that's how that's how he talks, oh, and the kids great. laugh, and the the other piranhas just sound normal. They're like, "No, no, Brian, we're piranhas," you know. Oh God! Um, Speaking of news, <laughs> we should probably get to that. What do you say? A little bit of greedy time. I did find uh because uh, I make my own hot sauce in in my spare time. I did find that there was a local greenhouse that sells ghost peppers, so I bought like three quarters of a pound. I'm very excited. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, then I think we have definitely dragged out our intro as as far as we can take it without being stupid. So how about we get down to some news? Johnny, what do you say? I'm in. Here we go, folks. It's the news. And we've got uh, three primary sets of stories here for us this week. Uh, and the first set of stories actually has to do with the, pretty much the same thing. And that is as follows. Uh, let's see here. From LATimes.com by way of Amy Kaufman. 20th Century Fox pulls scene from The Predator after director Shane Black casts his friend... A registered sex offender. Uh, now, bear with me because I'm going to kind of jump between three articles and then um, we'll get down to some discussion about it. Johnny, I have already provided you with the articles so that if you need to look at them as well and or wish to quote from them or anything, you please feel free to do that. Let's yes, see. Sir. Going, going right into it, Miss Kaufman writes, 20th Century Fox was just days away from locking picture on The Predator when an urgent note came in. Delete the scene featuring Stephen Wilder Striegel. 
Striegel, 47, didn't have a big role in his longtime friend Shane Black's reboot of the sci-fi thriller, just a three-page scene shared with actress Olivia Munn. But last month, Munn learned that Striegel is a registered sex offender who pled guilty in 2010 after facing allegations that he attempted to lure a 14-year-old female into a sexual relationship via the internet. When Munn shared the information with Fox on August 15th, studio executives quickly decided to excise him from the movie. The 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 article does go on from there. That is the key that that is the actual key thing here. When we jump over here, the next LA Times article, again by Amy Kaufman, uh, we have here Shane Black apologizes for casting registered sex offender in The Predator. Uh, see here, after defending his decision to cast a registered sex offender in The Predator, director Shane Black has released a public apology for letting down those he did not give, quote, a voice in the decision. Let's see, back on the 6th, of course, uh, the Times published a story reporting that 20th Century Fox recently deleted a scene. Black had said that, quote, it has sadly become clear to me that I was misled by a friend I really wanted to believe was telling me the truth when he described the circumstances of his conviction. I believe strongly in giving people second chances, but sometimes you discover that a chance is not as warranted as you may have hoped and Quote, um, again, this is Black because Black initially said that he, quote, personally chose to help a friend by casting, Strie- uh, end quote, by casting Striegel in The Predator and two of his other films, Iron Man 3 and The Nice Guys. He believed that Striegel was, quote, caught up in a bad situation versus something lecherous, end quote. Jumping into the final article from Slate.com by way of Matthew Dessam, and this is from the 8th of September. Olivia Munn spoke out about a registered sex offender being cast in The Predator, so her co-stars let her handle the press all by herself. So again, uh, referring to everything from the LA Times, on Thursday, news broke that 20th Century Fox had cut a scene from Shane Black's upcoming film, The Predator, after being informed that one of the actors it featured, Stephen Wilder Striegel, was a registered sex offender who'd served six months in prison after pleading guilty to sending sexually charged emails to a 14-year-old girl. Stregel's pass was brought to the studio's attention by actress Olivia Munn, who appeared with him in the scene and objected to not being told about his past before working with him. In a statement, Fox said it was unaware of his record until Munn brought it to their attention, but director and screenwriter Shane Black, a longtime friend of Striegel who also cast him in Iron Man 3 and The Nice Guys, knew about Striegel's legal problems and said nothing to the cast, which Munn said she found, quote, surprising and unsettling. The scene was cut within 24 hours of Munn speaking to Fox. Black apologized. Uh... And the Predator headed towards its September 14th release with a potential public relations disaster more or less managed. And although Munn seems to have gotten some pushback after blowing the whistle, cutting the scene was enough to her to feel like the situation had been resolved. Now, we're, I'll stop there. The article does go on to look into some tweets that everyone had sent and the going back and forth because uh, Black did not personally apologize to Munn as of this article. And the rest of the cast literally kind of stepped back from any publicity uh, on this, leaving Munn to kind of handle everything by herself. Uh, update. And what is your update, sir? Because uh, I, I watched this on the Philip DeFranco show today. Uh, there was a couple people from the, I can't, I can't remember who's in this movie. I'm not a big fan of Key and Peele, so I, I don't know them apart. Not just, just because I don't know them. It has nothing to do with, any similarities in uh, uh, appearance they might have? <laughs> oh, it is Keegan Michael. Uh, Keegan Michael Key. Oh, okay, it's Key. Yeah, yeah, so Key, Key and and another guy. But there was um, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele is the guy who did Get he's Out. The, he's the one with the last hair. year. <laughs> sure, yes. right? Like, I, like and Keegan. Keegan Michael Key is 
is the gentleman who is bald. Yes. Like I, again, I know them as an act. I have not paid enough attention to their careers to know them apart. I, I also have this problem with Millie Vanilli. I don't know which one's Millie. I don't know which one's Vanilli. I don't know which one's dead. <laughs> anyway, um, just enough, but there was a few people who, you know, publicly tweeted like, Hey, here's why I didn't do this. I am extremely proud of it. Like tried to through tweets. Um, and say they, they said stuff in an interview, tried to reach out. So there, there, there has been some noise for fellow castmates, I guess is what I'm trying to say in, in the longest way possible. Right. Ma- mainly saying that like Sterling K. Brown has, has been saying, Oh, I'm sorry. You feeling updated. I wasn't, I was never, I was not at TIFF. Uh, so I didn't have an opportunity to be there. Uh, and then the same thing, Keegan, Keegan's publicist said that uh, Keegan was never booked to do an interview. The, um, it, it just turns out that they are saying that they, it's not that they purposely left her out there. It's just that it just inadvertently worked out that way. However, I don't think people understand just exactly how powerful Shane Black really is because Shane Black is the guy who, who was one of the writers of uh, Lethal Weapon. He wrote, yeah, so he wrote Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, He's done Last Boy Scout, Last Action Hero, Long Kiss Goodnight. This is definitely a guy who has been around Hollywood for a long, long time. He's been around for literally 32 years. Wow. I, I'm just saying that because I see the picture of him and I'm like, that does not look like a man who's been working for 30 years. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm just... Like, I'm not talking about what he's doing. I'm just talking about the pure time of 35 years plus at least 20, we'll say. So, like, this man does not look like he's in his 50s, at least. You know? Yeah, he's 56. Yeah, yeah he's he 56. does not. So he'll be 57. He'll be 57 in December. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm getting at. So this guy is more or less, like, uh, I don't know, Hollywood royalty, a legend, whatever. But he's definitely got clout. I take, take with as much of a grain of salt as you want. I mean, I don't know if that's just part of the dynamic or whatever, but it is interesting that they're, that these people are covering their asses, but they're also not coming out saying that they're necessarily 100% with Olivia as much as they can be, but Sterling K. Brown kind of seems to be in between the two. This is the tricky part with someone like me who has the mentality of people have to be given a second chance if they've served their time. I want to believe, I want to believe that if you've served your time, then we've got to, we've got to, within some certain parameters, let you back into society to prove yourself. Because if we continue to isolate and denigrate, then I believe it leads to recidivism. And I want to hold true on that in principle, no matter what. But then we come down to things like what this guy did. And now it's kind of like, oh, well, it's one thing to have the ideal, but are you willing to put your money where your mouth is? And God, this one is so difficult because Mun is kind of confusing to me on this one because she says, quote, this is a quote from the uh, Slate article. Well, if someone wants to share their platform and their power with someone who went to prison for hurting a child, once they've gotten out of prison, they've served their time, they are allowed to be, they are allowed to be back out in society, that's their choice if they want to help that person. I wasn't given that choice. That decision was made for me. My choice will always be to never give a second chance to anyone who hurts a child or an animal, end quote. 
Now, I, I am not here to say that Olivia Munn is wrong, and I am not here to say that we should give a blanket pass to anyone who ever hurts a child. But I, I don't know how to balance that, right? This is the this is what makes this particular heinous issue so tough. Do you give someone a second chance? Now, this guy uh, definitely had some issues, clearly. To the best of our knowledge, he hasn't done anything in the last eight years. Has he learned his lesson? Did he serve his time? Does depending on the crime mean that directors need to get approval for their own casting decisions? These are the ramifications that I'm wondering about. Johnny, jump in wherever you want. If you have an opinion or if you're like, <laughs> right, or, 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 or if he's gone now, he's not like, I ain't touching this shit. Bye. Peace. Uh, I do have an opinion, kind of. Okay. There's an explanation coming right after the statement, but I just don't care. I guess what don't you care about? This to me has become another dirty sex thing in Hollywood, another sexual criminal in Hollywood. And then people standing up for it and hashtag this and, ha- and like it, it has become to the point where the to me, Hollywood is at the point where it's it's just low tide. All ships are down. So, you know, Olivia Munn, who I I, I recognize the name. I don't really recognize the face. I'm not. I like watching movies, but I hardly really right now. It's because of this. It's like any movie I'm going to go watch. It's, you're just sitting there going like, oh, OK, so. uh uh, you know, is he a rapist? Is he a rapist? Is she a rapist? Because, you know, that story's coming out too. You know, is, is this person a pedophile? Is this, and it's so everything. And, and coupled with that, the legitimate truth that sometimes it's like, I really like that actor and or actress. They haven't been anything for a while. Where are they? There is a chance that they are tired of getting raped. And that's why they're not in movies anymore. At least that is the portrayal of Hollywood now by trying to do whatever it is they've done. A low tide sinks all ships. And and that to me is what Hollywood has become coupled with. It's sad that we're at the point where it's like, oh, just another rapist. And I don't like that I have this well, opinion. Please but- don't think that I'm trying to say this guy is just another rapist. And that's, and that's, why I'm, oh, no, I'm no, no, trying to, I, I I'm not trying to pussyfoot or be delicate, but at the right, same right. time, I in no way or shape or form want to be looking like I'm condoning the, no, no, what no. this guy did. Right. And, and what, I understand that too. You're, okay. you're, um, <laughs> except this is playful ribbing and, and not a, uh, a direct insult, but your virtues have been signaled. I, uh, <laughs> good i heard a laugh playful rip good no but i i think a lot of it is that too is like everybody's trying to to signal their view their virtues but the problem is is you also have the victim competition game where it's like like there are very terrible things that happen in the world not just hollywood all over the world and there are some people who are fucking like just like brutalized victims and there's also people who are, I don't want to use the term cashing in on it, but it's like, look at me. I was blah, blah, blah too. And it's like your situation, you know, clearly uh, for you, it's your entire world, but I don't think you could compare yourself to some of these other stories. Like, like Harvey Weinstein uh, uh, winking at you or saying something suggestive is a little different than a lot of the other stories we've heard about him. And I, and I feel like this whole situation uh, that that's where i'm at i'm pretty much numb to it 
I'm not even going to say numb. I'm at the point where, like, I used to get upset when I heard a story like this because I'm like, oh, you know, oh, that guy shouldn't have, blah, blah, blah. I still am upset at that guy. You know, I want to properly uh, signal my virtues as well. But it doesn't make me feel anything for Olivia Munn. Like, you know, it's just like, oh, this is this is the dirtiest industry in the world is what it seems like to me where I'm at is like, I get mad that it's, that it's a story. Like, like mad is like, Oh God, another one. Like, can we just like fucking talk about the movie? No, like, like that, uh, no, that's where I I'm at. That. And I, I'm not even okay. saying I like that. I feel that way, but that is the first unfiltered thought. Whenever a story like this comes around, it's like, fuck again. Like just, I want to know who's going to be in the movie. I don't fucking care about anything else. And, and again, I, you come to your senses and that's not how I feel, but that's the initial jolt through my brain when I hear shit like this. And that's fine. And look, I, again, I'm not trying to solve this problem tonight and, and I'm not, and I don't want to pretend that, you know, we, we're able to solve the world's problems in this regard. I, I just, I am truly conflicted when it comes to this stuff because on the one hand, I truly believe that people deserve a second chance provided that they have, that they have paid their debt to society. On the flip side, it's kind of like you just don't mess with kids. You, you just don't mess. It's like the universal rule. You don't mess with kids. And, but then you, you balance that against the guy who's never done anything, but, but he did once. And yeah, so I don't know. And then the other thing, the only other thing that really bothered me about it is, and again, it boils down to, I guess, what is the line of the crime that at that point we have to say directors, casting agents, studio heads have to go around and get the approval of the cast for the cast. Um, that's not generally something that's done. Yeah, the, I don't see a way that that system could get violated. Do you? <laughs> like, I can't see that uh, going wrong somehow. Check this out. It's a complicated issue, and there's uh, the two stories from L.A. Times, both by Amy Kaufman. 20th Century Fox pulls the scene from the Predator after director Shane Black casts his friend, a registered sex offender. Uh, also, Shane Black apologizes for casting registered sex offender in The Predator. Again, Amy Kaufman. Finally, Slate.com. By way of Matthew Desim, Olivia Munn spoke out about a registered sex offender being cast in the and the Predator, so her co-stars let her handle the press all by herself with the updates from Sterling K. Brown and uh, Key's publicist are available there as well. And shifting gears to another uh, tough subject before we get to the fun stuff, from thehollywoodreporter.com by way of Mike Barnes, Burt Reynolds, movie star who played it for Grins, dies at 82. That's right, folks. The ex-jock from Florida starred in Deliverance and Boogie Nights, but preferred making such populist funfairs, Smokey and the Bandit, The Cannonball Run, and Starting Over. Burt Reynolds, charismatic star of such films as Deliverance, The Longest Yard, and Smokey and the Bandit, who set out to have as much fun as possible on and off the screen, and wildly succeeded, has died. He was 82. Reynolds, who received an Oscar nomination for his portrayal of porn director Jack Horner in Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights in 1997, and was the number one box office attraction for a five-year stretch starting in the late 1970s, died Thursday morning at Jupiter Medical Center, Jupiter Medical Center in Florida. His manager, Eric Kritzer, told The Hollywood Reporter, cause of death was cardiopulmonary arrest. Now, always with a wink, Reynolds shined in many action films, often doing his own stunts, and in such romantic comedies as Starting Over, opposite Jill Clayburgh and Candace Bergen, The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas with Dolly Parton, Best Friends with Goldie Hawn, and quite aptly, The Man Who Loved Women, 
with Julie Andrews. Quote, I didn't open myself to new writers or risky parts because I wasn't interested in challenging myself as an actor. I was interested in having a good time, end quote. Reynolds recalled in his 2015 memoir, But Enough About Me. Quote, as a result, I missed a lot of opportunities to show I could play serious roles. By the time I finally woke up and tried to get it right, nobody would give me a chance, end quote. Still, Reynolds had nothing to apologize for. He was Hollywood's top grossing star every year from 1978 through 1982, equaling the longest stretch the business had seen since the days of Bing Crosby in the 1940s. In 1978, he had four movies playing in theaters at the same time. Reynolds, uh, in John Borman's Deliverance, based on a book by James Dickey, Reynolds starred as macho survivalist Louis Medlock, one of four guys from Atlanta who head to the wilderness for the weekend. Filmed by Vilmos Zygmunt, along the the Chattooga River near the Georgia-South Carolina border. It was an arduous production that Borman shot in sequence. Quote, when I asked John why, he said, quote, in case one of you drowns, end all quotes, Reynolds wrote. He had good reason. When Reynolds saw test footage of a dummy in a canoe going over the falls in one scene, he told Borman the scene looked fake. He climbed into the canoe, was sent crashing into the rocks, and ended up in the hospital. Reynolds wrote, quote, I asked Borman how the new footage looked, and he said, quote, like a dummy going over the falls, and all quotes there as well. It does go on from there. We, of course, about, talking about Smokey and the Bandit, written and directed by his pal, the legendary stuntman Hal Needham, grossed $126 million. That's $508 million today, and only Star Wars took in more that year. Reynolds, who stars as Bo Bandit Darville, hired to transport 400 cases of Coors from Texas to Atlanta in 28 hours, noted that, unbelievable as it sounds, Smokey was Alfred Hitchcock's favorite movie. Yeah, baby. Re- uh, Reynolds, of course, drives a sleek Pontiac Trans Am in the film, and after the picture opened, sales of the model soared. Uh, it says that his black car is mentioned in Bruce Springsteen's Cadillac Ranch and the Tampa Bay Bandits, a U.S. football league team, uh, in which he had an ownership stake, were named for the movie. And the article does go on from there. It talks about a lot of his different marriages and his kids who have things to say about him as well and the rest of his career. But uh, Johnny, do you have anything that you'd like to say about Burt Reynolds passing away? First of all, of course, it's always sad, but I realized the word I was looking for when we were talking about the last story is, I, I, I'm just totally jaded, uh, I think. And so maybe, maybe I just need to turn social media off for a while. But, uh, speaking, of, but, but with Burt Reynolds, um, uh, my memory of him, when somebody says Burt Reynolds and I, I kind of get crapped on for this by, you know, uh, fans of, uh, Smokey and the Bandit, a movie I've never seen. Well, it was nice knowing <laughs> you, and I'm glad we have had our friendship up to this time. Unfortunately, we'll have to terminate it. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll call you when I finally watch it. God damn, son. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Oh, Jesus. All right. What were you going to say? Yeah. Um, th- my memory of... You're of no Bert- longer qualified to talk about Burt Reynolds? Was that about your what you were going to say? Oh, don't worry, sir. It gets worse. Uh, my, my memory of Burt Reynolds is a TV show called Evening Shade. There's nothing wrong with that. That was actually a big, that was actually a big comeback vehicle for him in the late 80s and early 90s. Because this was, this was during a time when people thought that he was unhirable. And a lot of it had to do, uh, stemming from his troubled marriage with Lonnie Anderson, who really stuck with him through a lot of shit. But a lot of the shit that happened to him was not, was not his fault in a root cause. A lot of the problems that came from that were because you know how you always see in the bar scenes and bar fights people get hit with chairs and tables and stuff and whenever they get hit with the chairs the chairs break right well Burt Reynolds was in I don't know I can't remember if it was like Stoker Ace or something like that 
or maybe Cannonball Run 2, like, whatever. One of the movies that he's in. And you got to remember, Burt Reynolds actually ran a stunt school for quite a few years where he trained stunt people. So he is, he's on set, he's filming a movie, big bar brawl, and one of the uh, stunt people grabs the chair to hit him. It was a real wooden chair. So not only did it not break, it landed him in the hospital because it about broke his back. And from then on, he went down the painkiller road. And it's, of course, affected his personality, affected his performances, it affected his viability, it affected him, his higher ability. And so he had a lot of issues that stemmed from that. Evening Shade was his ticket basically back into showbiz, like, you know, to give him a chance to get back in. So the fact that you saw him there is great because it was also a way for people who, kids who, for whatever reason, did not get to see the the older movies i guess older uh from the 70s and 80s would at least get to get to see who he was even if they didn't necessarily watch the tv show they would see who he was when their parents watched the tv show and like you were exposed to it so there's that that's that's okay it's okay that you're memories start there i i appreciate that because you are the first person to say that to me everybody else gives me shit for not watching Smokey and the bandit or you know like it, it's like you haven't seen this classic piece of cinema no but i've seen kindergarten cop multiple times whatever that's <sighs> for. i know that that one that one was meant to make you sigh i apologize for trolling but no it um Back in the day, you know, you probably lived through a life like this. There was two channels. There was one TV. Your choices were watch what mom watched or don't watch TV. Yep. And uh, Evening Shea was just one of those shows. I remember one of the co-stars uh, uh, comedic timing more than anything about the show. But anyway, yeah, no, it, that's just me. But yeah, yeah. Right on. Well, okay, good. Well, then I'm, I'm, I'm at least glad, you know, we have some cultural touchstone. So if you'd like to read through that again, uh, please do. This is a great article. It's very thorough. Uh, HollywoodReporter.com by way of Mike Barnes, Burt Reynolds, movie star who played it for grins, dies at 82. Uh, just really quickly here, just gonna jump uh, again, Hollywood Reporter, this time by, uh, by way of Greg Kilday. Uh, the Academy is postponing the new popular Oscar category. It's just been removed. They had intended to put it at the 91st Academy Awards, but now due to all the changes being made and, and no one really knew how, when, or why it was going to be interpreted and turn in and put into the rules, they've just decided to hold off on it entirely. Whether or not this will then just be quietly swept under the rug, which is something they discuss into the article and then never heard from again, remains to be seen. But um, I, for one, was really looking forward to this, uh, provided, again, with, with the easy-peasy out of as long as they did it the right way, which is lame and a trope in and of itself, but true nonetheless, because I think it would have been great in the in the, in the the telecast it would give reason to people to see, oh, wow, these are the special effects and, oh, this is the technical stuff that goes into this great movie that I, that's just been nominated and then won the, air quotes, popcorn Oscar. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and then finally, finally for the news, 
from flickeringmyth.com. Mattel launches film division as Sony's options on Masters of the Universe and Barbie expire. That's right. Um, the um, Gary Collinson writes, according to Variety, Mattel is currently setting up Mattel Films, which will be led by Robbie Brenner, producer on Dallas Buyers Club. Brenner will report directly to Mattel chairman and CEO Anand Kreis. Quote, Mattel is home to one of the world's greatest portfolios of beloved franchises, and the creation of Mattel Films will allow us to unlock significant value across our IP. Robbie is a gifted story pill- storyteller and a highly respected filmmaker with deep relationships relationships and entertainment. She is the perfect leader to bring our celebrated brands to life. End quote there from Enon Kreese. The article goes on to reveal that Sony's options on both Barbie and Masters of the Universe have now expired, with both properties joining the likes of Hot Wheels, Monster High, and Max Steel as potential franchises for the studio. Although in the case of the latter, the $4 million gross of 2016's live-action movie probably leaves it at the bottom of the queue. And that is the that's the bulk of that rather short article. But Tim, do you have any? Or Tim, I'm so sorry. Johnny, do you have anything? It happened. To in? It happened. I know. You did so good for so long. <laughs> I know. And I'm going to make a do? big deal out of it, so it's harder to edit out. Okay. No, okay. Uh, no, the two articles. Um, honestly, uh, the the Oscar thing. I don't mm-hmm. want popular Oscar category personally. Wow. But. Hear me out. There's a phrase you said is the exact reason why I don't want this to be there. It would become the popcorn Oscar. It would it would become the the Oscars is not about what's popular. It's not. If if you're talking dollars and cents or views or or whatever you're talking about, it's not. It's a little it, it's pretentious by nature and and it should be. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it just should be. Don't come over and just be like, well, you know, um, this type of movie that we shot on for many of years, uh, maybe we'll give it an award. Don't, you know what I mean? These, these movies, they're losing viewers though, Johnny. I mean, they, they need to get people to watch the show. There's just not enough people to watch the show to, to justify three hours of network television at this point. So they got to do something. And I think that's what would be good for the popular film category would put butts in seats to see which, which people's favorite movie actually gets honored beyond any theoretically token technical categories, even though it looks tech, it looks like a token category, but real film buffs and people who are into movies, cinephiles will clearly know that it's not that these are not token awards which is again why i was saying if they really positioned it right i think it would be great but uh, who knows there's always cable they can always just go to a smaller they can always just go to coming come, coming to hulu in 2020 the 92nd oscars honestly they might be better off starting to stream it on twitch <laughs> like yeah, everybody's like the, the I, I don't see them are... doing twitch but uh, I, I, well, I get your i get your point Twitch, YouTube, I mean, either way, these places have like built in ads, right? As soon as you click on the feed, you have to watch an ad. And like, it's just okay. like, okay, <laughs> let's take that away. Let's take that away. The, the thing I find with this is everything that is on TV is losing viewers because TV is losing viewers. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, what is it? Amazon got the rights for base. Like what's keeping network TV alive in general? 
are these baby boomers? Uh, well, yeah, that's and, it. I'm dead serious. Baby boomers. That's what well, keeping yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and under that, like younger than that, it's just this lifestyle. Sports. Sports is what's keeping network TV alive. Well, I would say that it's keeping cable TV alive. Okay. See, I th- this is where the confusion comes in because when I hear network and I hear cable, like I understand the difference kind of, but up here we don't have that system. If you want to watch TV, it costs money. So here's here's how this works uh, in general, and I would assume that to a certain degree it works for you the same way in Canada. If you don't have cable. You can plug in an antenna and you can put your antenna up and you will get some form or fashion of channel selection. Now, it may not be the greatest. You may only get two or three. You may get 10 or 20, but you will get some form or fashion of television station. That is network TV. When you plug in your cable and then you get 200 stations, that's cable TV. Now, you can watch network TV on cable, but you can't watch cable TV just with an antenna. And that's, that is the, that is the distinguishing characteristic. ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. So stuff like that. Beyond those few stations and some translator stations for the old VHF stuff and UHF stuff, then you have to have cable. So that's what we refer to here when we're talking about network. Okay. So here, here when like, like when I say TV, it's like a TV network. Cause the network TV part you talked about, like, you know, like, yeah, rabbit ears used to work, but there is no such thing as free channels at all. <laughs> and maybe in the bigger centers, I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with the population spread out. But like, like for me, all, all, all TV is cable TV. Yeah. In this situation, like what is keeping people subscribed to these packages of channels is sports. Live sports is what's keeping everything going because people will still tune in to watch that live. And yes, the Oscars are losing viewers, but people will still tune in to watch that live. But it's not the same anymore. Like there's not as many people doing that, even in sport, right? And it is going to be interesting in the future because uh, I think Amazon got the bid for Major League Baseball. Like, you know, some of these streaming places are so- Amazon. Amazon might just be pretentious enough to stream the Oscars. That might be the best place to do it. Cause ne- I think Netflix, like if they're like, we're going to live stream on Netflix, everybody's going to be like, Netflix. I'm not watching the Oscars on Netflix. I don't know. <laughs> like I, I just see that comment, but, but I mean, if they want more viewers, I think they have to put it in more places than just television in general. Cool. Um, all also right. shout good, out to good. Dolph Lundgren. That's all. I mean, the Mattel thing sounds and, like they and could... kindergarten cop too. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> so the Mattel thing sounds cool. I ju- um, well, he was the star of kindergarten cop too, Mister. You know, I, I still I understand that. I still have not seen that. Uh, there's a few oh, Dolph Lundgren yeah, movies you, I want to see. You should see. put yourself through that as penance for not having seen. I'll tell you what. If you watch Smoking the Bandit, I won't make you watch Kindergarten Cop two. That that's the that's the deal. But uh, yeah, I think what I what I think is funny is Sony. Sony drops the ball on Masters of the Universe, Barbie, all this other stuff. But damn, don't you think Disney was sitting there going, can you just fucking drop Spider-Man already? But uh, they never did do that. All right. Well, then that is going to bring us to the end of the news. Next week, we will go ahead and have some more news. Just kind of keep things up and in current and all that good stuff while we maybe work out other bonus segments. So, Johnny... 
Just want to say thank you so very much for working us through all this, having fun with me while we do some movies. Can you go ahead and throw out a few plugs? Tell us where we can find you. Right on. Yeah. No, first, thanks for having me. I do. I appreciate this all the time. It is fun. I like bouncing theories off you because then I find out how much water they can hold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I do. That, that's my favorite part about our conversations, to be honest. But anyway, um, right now, I think all I'm really doing, um, I think I'm uploading it to YouTube and Facebook. I started kind of doing a gameplay series with No Man's Sky. Each video is is a planet, how long I'm on a planet. That, that's really all I'm doing now. There's some audio stuff and vlogs probably in the future, but I just, I've not been podcasting the way I should be. I, I've been on this podcast more than I've been on my own podcast in the last month. Well, we are honored that you chose <laughs> to be with us then. Uh, but JohnnyWhiteTrash.com and White Trash Show on all social medias is where it's at. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you very much again, Johnny, for joining us for the news. Um, you never know. I might have to rope him in yet again. We'll see how it goes. But uh, until until then, thanks again, Johnny, for jumping in. Like I said, next week we're going to have a bonus news segment. And now I believe it's time for the movies. And so here we go, folks. It's the movies. <laughs> Yeah, it is time for the movies. The movies, the movies, the movies. So this week's movies are The Nun, Searching, and Operation Finale. And I know normally we like to try and go in one direction, from maybe from worst to best, or what we think we're looking forward to the most or whatever, but I think we're going to try some some peaks and valleys here. Peaks and valleys. Uh, we are going to start with The Nun and move to Searching and then finish with Operation Finale because, I mean, you know, finale is the finale, right? Let's jump right into The Nun. I had a series of visions when I was younger. And after each one ended, the same thought would be stuck in my head. What did you see? I saw a nun. Word of my visions reached the church. And I was asked to accompany a priest to an abbey in Romania. The abbey has a long history. Valak. Not all good. What? Finnegan Callahan's here. So you have gotten the trailer here. This this entering into the conjuring verse, as it were, was probably the most for me since the second movie, since The Conjuring 2, is probably been the most anticipated for me. I really think that the nun as a concept and as a makeup style is just so wonderfully executed and i think that what makes it so good is that maybe just because of my age group you know i grew up in a religious home and everything so this kind of stuff ties into aspects of my upbringing uh and and other aspects of religious mysticism that whether or not anyone subscribes to them really probably is easy to play into a childhood a contemporary childhood 
in the United States and probably most of the West. And so you see these concepts uh, and images of nuns and things that are holy, and it reminds you of The Exorcist and other great horror films. And it just gets you psyched, especially when I felt it was pretty well used in uh, in her last appearance. And then we get to this movie. And I really think that the problem with this movie is that they're really trying to shift the tone. And I am both applauding the fact that they chose this particular aspect of the Conjuring universe to do it, and at the same time kind of sad. Because I think they took the chance on this particular style of horror on their strongest conjuring mini boss i guess you could say i mean because clearly it's all about eventually taking down the devil right some kind of supernatural demon evil whatever and this is just one of the many forms that it takes i suppose so i'm glad that they i'm glad that they did that i'm glad that they went with this but the problem that i have is that they just didn't they, they don't think they executed it right they're, they've tried to go from just the basic style of, oh, someone's being haunted and we've got to figure out who and why. And instead, they really try and build a story. They are trying to build the story of these characters. They're trying to give them a real reason for existing in this time period and being at this forever haunted nunnery as it were this convent and 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 that's okay that's okay but they they seem to have forgotten that what makes the conjuring work is the way that it it goes to scare you and by spending so much time focusing on the story they lacked the scares. They combined this. It's kind of like they doubled down on making this more of a, I, I, I don't necessarily want to say traditional horror, but at least something you're, you've been familiar with in the past by adding the humorous element. And of course, by that, I mean the comic relief of Frenchie. It works in some cases, but it doesn't and others. And I mean, we, I went to a sneak preview of this movie and it was a packed house. And you could hear that they timed the jokes in the film. They would try and do like a, a like a twofer on, on occasion. The first joke would land, but then the twofer that they would go for was too quick and the audience was still laughing at the first part of the joke. A really good, uh, example is when Frenchie goes for his gun. And he's like, uh, you know, maybe I was going to wait for uh, the emergency or whatever. And then later he comes back and thinks, oh, that was part of an emergency. The thing is, is that he's already killed it. And the way he does it and, and how he shoots this, uh, the being or whatever that he decides to kill comes off humorously. And then he's like, oh, I decided that was an emergency. So that's supposed to be the punchline. But because of the way that they injected the humor into it in the death that occurs well it doesn't work as well it's got this really weird mix of of, of decent acting uh Thaisa farmiga is plays sister irene in this uh Demian bashir plays father burke and they work well together as someone who is new 
and excited to be a part of Christ and as someone who is perhaps rather jaded in the church. And it's a nice balance, again, because they're going for something a little bit more serious this time, and they're trying to inject stories. Uh, Thaisa Farmiga, of course, is probably best well-known from the American Horror Story series, and uh, literally one of today's contemporary scream queens, really, because of her primary association with that. But the movie just doesn't work on the whole. It simply seems to fall apart, because it's trying so hard to be serious, and also... And at times funny, it just doesn't land the scares like it should. And it doesn't land the atmosphere as well as it can. Um, cu- couple that with quite a lot of, uh, I won't say plot holes, but weak plot devices and other plot elements. And it takes something that I was excited about and it turns it into something simply less than it has it has a lot of things going for it but at the end of the day the execution just fails and so this one the nun for me lands at a two i really wanted to try and give it like a 2.5 i'm sorry not a 2.5 but like a 2.25 because of those elements that i liked but it it just wasn't enough it it literally just wasn't enough and i i just i didn't like it guys i'm sorry tim what do you got sir all righty then the nun gosh which movie is this now in the conjuring universe Let's see they they started off strong with the conjuring there was conjuring 2 annabelle came out i think before conjuring 2 uh then it was annabelle 2 and now it's the nun you know i'd be hard pressed to say that i i don't know if this is actually the weaker of the bunch because I was bored to tears with the first Annabelle movie. Uh, The second Annabelle movie got a lot of crap, but it actually has a decent, I think, 60% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so some people enjoyed it. And and The Nun, people all over the place are saying that it's the worst out of all these flicks. I'm, I'm pretty sure so far we've only had two Conjurings, two Annabelles, and a Nun. I don't think I'm missing anything else, but whatever. So the nun currently sits at 26 percent here on the to- uh, here on the tomato meter. Even the audience score, 48 percent. That's 48 percent actually liked the movie. Uh, with the critics' consensus of the nun boasts strong performances, spooky atmospherics, and a couple decent set pieces, but its sins include inconsistent logic and narrative slackness. That pretty much right there hits the nail on the head. What I didn't like about the first Annabelle movie, as I'd mentioned before, was that it was just boring. You know, you have the doll, but more stuff has to happen. More stuff has to be there to make the film itself scary. You can't just rely on the frightening, on how frightening a doll looks. You know, like with The Exorcist, the possessed girl looks scary, but... You also see the possessed girl do scary things and say scary things. There's also the mood, the atmosphere, the tension that is there during all of these scenes involving the girl who is in need of an exorcism. So there are the building blocks with the foundation of the scariness of the girl that are just being laid on top of each other that create a well-rounded, frightening moody film that is what the first annabelle movie lacked 
The second one did did okay with it, but it still felt cheap, like a cinematic universe creating gimmick. And The Nun, to some degree, does better in terms of trying to create an, an atmosphere and to create this world that supports the creepiness of The Nun. But... But the nun gets completely wrong is that it feels like world building. Did the movie need to be booked in by the conjuring characters by Ed and Lorraine Warren or Ed, Ed and Lorraine? Ed, yeah, Ed and Lorraine Warren, the Warrens. Not at all. The nun would have worked better if it was a standalone movie, which would have provided, you know, a little bit backstory needed to understand why it is so frightening in the Conjuring movies. But then again, not knowing why it's so frightening and not knowing anything about the character makes a character in general that much more frightening. So right off the bat, the bookends of this movie being the Warrens are an issue. And if that wasn't bad, (laughs) The Nun is a fabricated story. Or I should say, The Nun character is a fabricated character. They created this character for The Conjuring 2. Was she based on something that happened before at a, you know, to a nun at a convent? I have no idea. I really didn't care to do any research into The Nun. Especially once I found out it wasn't based on an actual Ed and uh, Lorraine Warren case. You don't need those bookends. You know, you don't need this backstory. There is no need to have a direct tie-in, especially when the opening of the movie alludes to it being true. Because I think it says something along the lines of, this happened 34 years ago, or this happened 60-some-odd years ago, but this happened. We don't need to do that. I mean, already the Conjuring movies, especially The Conjuring 2, stretched the truth (laughs) so thin that it's basically completely fiction. So whenever they try to go into, oh, this is real, this actually happened, it's borderline laughable because it's obvious it's fanciful at this point. And I really don't know how uh, much else I can critique The Nun (laughs) because that already sounds like I am beating it to the ground completely. I did like how it felt more like a fantasy than it did a straight-out horror film. For instance, a lot of the sets and the scenery were decorated and lit with nice shadows, and everything felt large, everything felt spatial, and I really liked that. It felt like I was in a cool place created for like a, a storybook fantasy horror film. And so I bought into it. And I really, and, and, and in fact, I think that's what really kept my attention. And now we also have the characters. Three characters, which on paper are very interesting characters. And they're strong characters. But how they are portrayed, they definitely were not. You have the Frenchie character who is a weak link. And something happens in the midpoint of the movie, I think it's the midpoint where he kind of gets separated, or I guess it's closer to the third act when he gets separated from the group. And he's kind of a, a dork, a wimpy dude. And he returns with a vengeance. <laughs> you know, he, he returns as if he is going to be the badass macho guy. Kind of sort on the lines of Bruce Campbell and Evil Dead, where he's a badass, he's a macho, but kind of 
a scaredy cat. That is not the case with them. They just, he just appears, they use him for a couple quick little quips, and then he goes back doing the same thing he was doing beforehand. Why? Because they needed the character to get to a certain point, and unfortunately, he had to continue being a wimpy level one grade character to get to that final destination. And as for story structure, scenes jumped around all over the place. And it creates this very skewed sense of time and how crucial these certain scenes and moments actually are. For instance, some heavy shit is going down. Later on in the movie, and I guess this is a spoiler alert, but all of you who probably cared to see The Nun have probably seen it already. There's a scene when you find out all the nuns are dead. You know, you think there's a co- uh, there's a there's a covenant full of nuns or convent full of nuns, whatever. Nope, they're all dead. They find this out, and then they go right into oh, young Vera Farmega's sister. Oh yeah, they they casted Vera Farmega's sister in this to make some kind of correlation with her character to Lorraine Warren's character. I don't know, it was unneeded bullshit. It, you know what, uh, unfortunately, it's probably going to come into play in a future Conjuring movie. Thaisa Farmiga plays Sister Irene. You know, she hasn't actually become a nun yet. She has to say her vows or do something. And so the, guy's, the guy says, I believe, either she or the priest dude, the father, says, I believe it's time for you or I to take that next step to be a nun so I can fully do whatever work I got to do at this point, And I have to do that work as a nun. And all of a sudden it goes to the next scene or the next shot. And the father is wearing his robes. He's wearing all of this shit, which I don't know where. So you're saying he had to run back to his quarters, wherever they were staying outside of this huge ass mansion, castle, convent place, change, flip his hair back, get all of his props, run back in and, 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 and carry on with the ceremony. On top of that, I think they lit a whole fuckload of candles as well. Like, shit's going on. The nun is somewhere, yet you're taking time to do this ceremony properly. It just doesn't make sense. This film is also R-rated. I don't know really why it's R-rated. I mean, according to the MPAA, it is R-rated for terror, violence, and disturbing bloody images. Nothing here is that bad for a 13-year-old. Seriously, not bad at all. Only if they introduced some R-rated material that they can really relish in, I think that would have made things more, at least visually, terrifying. I mean, there were a couple kind of good kills, and there were a couple good ideas, but nothing ever really stuck, except the visual aspects. It seemed like the cinematographer and some of them working like the camera even like they were just having some fucking fun shooting this movie thought went into it um and the last thing i want to say is technically there are one too many visual gimmicks where the camera pans around and you see a character 
which means, you know, it's from the point of view of a character. So, you know, the character is looking around, they're scared, they know they're being chased, and so they stop, and they're looking around, and they see the nun. And for some reason, they keep moving, and again, this is from their point of view, so the camera's panning, they keep moving to the left side, and so by the time the camera makes its way back to where the nun was, or the creature, or whatever's chasing after them, it's they're suddenly gone, they're vanished. And they do this multiple times throughout this movie and it becomes a joke (laughs) it's ridiculous i'm gonna end my review right there i'm in fact giving it a 2.5 out of 5 yes i know it even kind of sort of surprises me i enjoyed it because i liked how different it was from what we've seen before again it felt more like a fantasy than it did a straight up horror Yeah, there you go. 2.5 out of 5 for me. All right. Then that brings us to Searching. Yes, Searching. Uh, 2018 American thriller film directed by Anish Shiganti. So uh, let's go ahead and get that trailer out of the way. Wake up, Daddy, wake up! Hey, Dad. Hey, sweetheart. Where are you? Study group. Gonna go all night. Oh, one more thing. I want to know about the final you... Took today. I'm Margo. I'm 15. Student. 911, what's your emergency? I'm calling to report a missing person. Okay, who is this regarding? My daughter. I'm the detective assigned to your daughter's case. I need to know how everything unfolded. Understood. We're gonna go late, like, all night. One, after a study session, Margot didn't return home. Margot Kim, school has her marked as absent today. Two, she didn't attend school on Friday. My daughter is in a lesson with you right now. Margot canceled her classes six months ago. And three, she's been transferring funds for the last six months. We'll handle the ground investigation. But as a parent, you can help us with who your daughter talks to. Is that something you can do? Yes. Do you mind answering some questions for me to help? Did see her eat lunch alone. On Thursday? Every day. You don't think she's involved with anything serious? I know my daughter. We're not really that close. She has friends, right? Kind of. Why did you invite her to study group? Trying to get into Berkeley next year. When was the last time you saw her? She did not run away. Local team has been missing since last Thursday. She made a transaction of $2,500. I know my daughter. Where were you the night my daughter went missing? I know my daughter. Look into her behavior also. She gets a fake ID. I know my daughter. This is her keychain. She was my best friend. You broke his jaw. I know my daughter. I'm trying to help you find my daughter. I didn't know her. I didn't know my daughter. All right. Yes. Um, all right, so we've got uh, David Kim here. Uh, I'm sorry. So again, it's uh, directed by Anish Shiganti, uh, stars John Cho and Deborah Messing, and um, Michelle La. Basically, what we have here is a thriller. Uh, not necessarily, not quite a one-room thriller like uh, Rear Window or anything like that, but um, very close to it, and it, it does 
try to be a Hitchcockian style film. We've got David Kim. He's looking through videos of uh, his wife and his daughter. His wife died of cancer. His He thought that his relationship with his daughter was good, but turns out it's not as strong as he thought. And he finds this out by searching for her after she says she's going to a study group and then does not come home. He thinks that she's at a piano lesson. Turns out she's not. She even canceled the piano lessons and she's been stashing the money. Now he is desperately searching. And of course, the hook on this is that he's really doing as much of this searching as possible and he's doing it on the computer. So it's lots of video conferencing, lots of Skype stuff. That That is where the hook of the film is so that you're kind of tied into, oh, wow, he's doing all of this online. And it's very clever. It's very, very clever. I must say that I definitely enjoyed the hook on this film. Uh, what I, what I, and, and I, and I really liked, by the way, the acting. I, I know that there's being a lot made about the fact that, uh, John Cho is the lead of this film. And I definitely applaud it. I, I am glad that we're seeing this. And, to show, you know, it's something that you, you, to show how much growth there is and how you always have room to grow. This is not something that in the pantheon of where we're at in Hollywood cinema, that even I myself hadn't really thought about much. And is the fact that we don't have a fair number of Asian leads when it comes to these kinds of things. Uh, for any style of movie, let alone thriller. And I know that they're like, oh, this is the first thriller with the lead, with an Asian American lead. And, and it is something that is important. We need to make sure that if we're really going to be looking at equality and looking at real representation, then we have to look at it across the spectrum, not just in the most obvious of places. And so I think it's really good. And honestly, I did not expect this strong of a performance out of John Cho. I know, of course, everybody always remembers him from Harold Kumar, and as of late, we've gotten some additional action out of him in the Star Trek franchise. So he is a good actor, and it's not that I was expecting a poor performance necessarily, but he was very, very convincing. And I and I also don't think that people appreciate that he is 46 years old now. <laughs> It's kind of sad. He's only five years older than me. I'm sad. I'm sad now. But, um, but it just, John Cho did not really strike me as a fully dramatic actor. And I, and it's not, and he's done some other dram- dramatic stuff. It's just, in this style, I just never thought of him. And it's really, really a wonderful breath of fresh air to see. I, um, it, uh, so I'm definitely pleased by his performance at that. With Deborah Messing, also very, very, very solid performance. My biggest problem with this is the plot. I think that everybody gets so wrapped up in the hook of how it is that David is doing his searching for his daughter, Michelle. I'm sorry, his daughter, Margot, played by Michelle, that... They don't seem to get that this is kind of a, a, a slight twist on the rehash plot, right? Right. Um, and as a result, a lot of what is happening really depends on 
this plot. And so it kind of takes the finale of the movie and twists it into a plot device instead of, instead of having a real narrative flow. And so the ending of the movie for me did, didn't really do it. I wasn't pleased with the resolution of the film. I thought that the build up to the, I guess to the reveal, if you will, uh, was, was well executed and again, greatly acted, uh, but I don't know, just the narrative didn't work for me as well as it could. And I think that is ultimately where searching fails. And, and as, and as great as it is for John Cho and as wonderful as it is that we are finally acknowledging some things that we need to take a closer look at, the hook really is just a hook that depends on this particular story working out this way. And it just doesn't feel natural. Um, so I give this one a 3.5 out of 5. Even though I was disappointed with the ending, I'm disappointed with the, you know, say the back third of the movie. It's not enough to ruin the experience. And I think that the acting is strong enough and the hook is good so that you will enjoy it throughout. So I give it a 3.5 out of 5 and take it away, Tim. Searching is so hot right now. (laughs) With an audience score of 90% and a tomato meter score of 92%. Searching's timely premise and original execution are further boistered by well-rounded characters brought to life by a talented cast. Uh, Yeah, that's what the consensus is on Rotten Tomatoes. Searching is an interesting film. I think, actually I should say, I hope it doesn't become another gimmick film. People are saying this is going to be the next found footage film because you can make it using a computer I guess, but man, if you thought found footage films were getting old, a desktop film or a lot, whatever, whatever they're calling this type of movie, um, will get old super fast, super. How I mean, cause how many gimmicks can you, can you play off of with, you know, the classic window screen or spam mail or just daily things that annoy you that in a humorous way, the movie searching reminded you of because I guess some people don't think it happens to everybody and just them. That's the comedic aspect. I don't know. There's not a lot I can say, or I want to say about this film. I thought it was interesting. I am always going to be the first person to say, or to admit that regardless of how the movie itself is, I will definitely appreciate it if it is a unique film. Now, I have no idea if a movie like this was made uh, beforehand, if there was another indie film that was made in this fashion, uh, but this was the first one, feature-length film at least, that was ever brought to my attention. And obviously a lot of people like it, and obviously got such a wide release, and obviously it's making money, and people are are going to see it, and, and and they're liking it as well. The movie is good because it doesn't rely only on that gimmick. They cast great actors, I thought for the most part, with the material that they had. And I'm talking about the core characters here, especially, especially John Cho and his daughter, uh, Margot is the character name, I guess, Michelle Law. They have to set up this family dynamic early on in the film, and they rely on family videos of the daughter growing up, the relationship with the wife, and and all this stuff. And that stuff is very effective, and it's very sweet. Because we can all pull from home videos, you know, especially younger parents now. Or maybe not necessarily younger parents, but 
parents who have kids that are, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old or whatever, you know, kind of like the characters in this movie, you can easily access all those videos and have little nostalgia tear parties, you know, watching them on your computer whenever you want. So there's a lot all of us can pull from this film when it comes to a family. And the opening of the movie does an exceptional job setting all that up. Now, when the movie gets into the missing daughter, and I guess you could call it the thriller aspect of it, that's where the movie gets both interesting and a little hokey. Because now you're relying on the gimmick and the performances and editing. And I I mean... Luckily, there's a lot that I liked that trumped what I didn't like. Um, what you see with a lot of films like this, far-reaching... Is far-reaching the right word? Probably not. But when they're reaching for the heavens on a really small... On, a, on an incredibly small budget, uh, reaching for the heavens idea-wise on a very small budget, you can run into a lot of hokiness. You know, if you look at the Saw movies... You know, they were trying to build a franchise on a tiny budget, and more often than not, you saw a lot of really shitty acting. And you get this from a couple people. I wasn't the biggest fan of Deborah Messing. Um, I don't know if she was the right fit, or if it was the dialogue, or the or the or the shooting style. I don't know. It just came across as I'm performing now. And same thing with all pretty much every other side character, but. The movie is anchored by its gimmick, which works totally for this movie, John Cho and the and the young woman who plays his daughter, Michelle Law. It's it's a very good film. Uh I'm giving it a four out of five. You should check it out. I don't think it's nearly as amazing as what people are heralding it to be, but it is a very good movie. Four out of five for me. All right, and finally, finally, yes, we have Operation Finale. Operation Finale. Because it is a finale. And let's jump right in with that trailer. You have no interest in what I have to say. Unless it confirms what you think you already know. My job was simple. Save the country I love from being destroyed. Is your job any different? I have a lead on a great enemy of our people. Adolf Eichmann. The architect of the final solution? The trail went cold in 46. Latest intelligence suggests Buenos Aires. This guy convinced rabbis to load the trains themselves. And not by force. If it is him, we need an elite crew. I'm not joining your hit squad. I would happily put a bullet in between his eyes, but that's not what we're doing here. This is strictly catch and extract. Eichmann will stand trial here in Israel. Think what it means. Finally, publicly, holding to account the man who organized our slaughter. Our memory reaches back through recorded history. The book of memory still lies open. And you, here now, are the hand that holds the pen. If you succeed, for the first time in our history, we will judge our executioner, and we will warn off any who may wish to follow his example. If you fail, he escapes justice 
collapse forever. I beg you, do not fail. Yes. All right. So 2018 American historical drama films directed by Chris White's screenplay by Matthew Orton. Uh, film stars Oscar Isaac, Ben Kingsley, Leor Raz, Melanie Laurent, Nick Kroll, and uh, Hallie Lou Richardson. And basically it follows the efforts of Israeli intelligence officers to capture former SS officer Adolf Eichmann in 1960. I, I don't have a whole lot to say about this movie. I think it is well acted. Hands down, it's a great cast. It is well acted, and I think very slickly produced. I was not a fan of the makeup for Ben Kingsley. It bothered me the whole time. But I understand why they had the, make, the makeup job as such. And despite it being a solid historical thriller... I don't know. It's just, I, I really feel like they, I, I feel like the execution of the story simply isn't the best. And I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's something that's been rehashed already a few times. But I, I really, uh, I found a good critical response here. And I, I would like to take a solid quote from Hollywood reporter John DeFore said this, and, and I really think this kind of sums up the film for me, because, again, it is very, very well acted, and it is super slickly produced. It's not a bad movie, but the, but the execution of the storyline itself isn't, just simply isn't as strong as I think a lot of people give it credit for. And I do mean in the audience, because the movie is suffering on Rotten Tomatoes. It, it is at a 58%, but the audience score is 76%. And this is where I land on it. I, I, I like, I like what John DeFore had to say. And he says, quote, though not likely to enter the pantheon as either a true life caper, Argo's people smuggling was more exciting, Munich's tale of vengeance more affecting, or as a showcase for face the past mind games, the drama benefits from a strong cast and can easily replace 1996's The Man Who Captured Eichmann as the go-to dramatization of this episode, end quote. That is a perfect encapsulation of this film. I think it is solid work done by a solid cast, but it's not as, it's just simply not as good as, uh, again, Munich, for one, which covers the same kind of material, though not the exact same material, obviously. And so I give this movie a three. It is a solid entry. I like this movie. I would have no problem watching this movie again. It's just not as strong. I just don't feel that it is as strong as a lot of the audience feels that it is. And that's what I have to say. So, Tim, bring us on home, sir. There's a very good chance Operation Finale may very well end up being, and I'm the only one who liked it on my part. I've heard about the the behind the scenes story or the backstory of or the history of Operation Finale, uh, but not in a great detail. So I don't know exactly what happened and how the events exactly played out. So I'm not I'm not too sure about the the history or the in depth history of it. Um, but I, I've heard about it, and when I first saw the trailer for this movie, I was reading some reviews, which. I try not to do, and a lot of the reviews were definitely not all that positive. People were saying that um, it's more entertaining than 
uh, which I guess does a disservice somehow to the characters and the story being told. Uh, I guess the movie wasn't hard hitting enough. It wasn't psychologically taxing enough or emotionally taxing. Like they didn't, it didn't pack the wallop that some people were wanting it to pack. So when they left the theater, they weren't affected emotionally, you know, and, you know, deep down in their core. On Rotten Tomatoes, it received a 57%. That was the critics' rating. So 54 out of uh, 94 critics said it was fresh, I guess. Gave it a, a positive uh, review. Now, the audience score is 75%. Yes, yeah, 75% of the audience enjoyed the movie. The critics, the critics' consensus being Operation Finale is well-intentioned, well-acted, and overall entertaining, even if the depth and complexity of the real-life events depicted can get a little lost in their dramatization. Look, when it comes down to it, it's a good movie. I was entertained by it. Um... At times, I think my biggest critique is that the movie just tries too hard during its first half to make us like or even relate to these characters, to the good guys, you know. But really, there's just no need for them to try to get us to like them or to relate to them when we can automatically relate to them as human beings. I mean... Most of the characters that are trying to find, or most of these people who are trying to capture slash bring down Ben Kingsley's character of Adolf Eichmann, were directly affected by the horrible atrocities that he had uh, a pretty firm hand on 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 masterminding. You know, he was apparently the architect of the final solution. So a lot of the people that were wanting to capture him had family members, had friends that were killed during the Holocaust. And that alone, their reasoning, is all we need to really get behind these people. So I think instead of focusing on, like, David Kroll being the goofy guy, you know, so-and-so being so angry, yet should we be worried about this character during his watch, you know, his time when he has to watch over Eichmann? Like, is he going to kill him in the middle of the night? Is he going to strangle him? Like, you know, that's what we should be focusing on. The psychological aspect of what could happen, what could happen, because if one thing happens, they're dead. Like, they're, they're going to be captured and, and that's it. But if another thing happens, you know, if they, if, if they go down this other path, then it'll work out. Everything will work out. Then everything will work out. But what's great about the story is that it's not really that cut and dry. Because if they mess up and they get caught, then the Buenos Aires, then the, then the Argentinian <laughs> police will arrest them. More than likely, the Nazis and Buenos Aires will, will, will destroy them, will kill them. But if they succeed in, in transporting him, there's also the psychological drama or the psychological troll the or the psychological toll and the drama of getting him onto the plane and safely getting him back to i believe it's Tel Aviv where he's going to be uh where he has to where he's going to be put on trial and 
it's kind of like Argo. And I was thinking about Argo quite a bit when I, I saw this movie, because when I when I look at Argo, I thought of Argo as just a freaking tense, entertaining thriller. Was I directly affected by those characters? No, not at all. I mean, if... What I mean, I mean, I guess I should say I wasn't emotionally, like, invested in these characters. Whereas with Operation Finale... I was because of the humanity aspect and how heavy, how heavy their cause was. And again, we just don't, we don't need, we don't need all that fluff, all that story character fluff for us to like the care, for, for us to care about these people, for us to, for us to have their backs. I thought it was a good movie. Um, I thought the script was good. I thought the performances were great. I think Ben Kingsley, this performance of his stands out top notch performance guys. If there are many reasons for you to go and see this movie, not just because of the story, not because it's just a good movie, but because of Ben Kingsley's performance, it's fantastic. And I don't know about you guys, but for some reason, I see Oscar Isaacs as our next George Clooney. He just reminds me of George Clooney for some reason, especially in this movie. It really hit me, the George Clooney-ness. Yeah, it, it's a good movie. I don't know what to say. And again, I, I don't know the story enough, the history behind all this enough to know exactly how true it was that during this time the Nazis in Buenos Aires were actually like very close of commanding their own small army of, of taking down all the Jews in Argentina. Like, I I don't know how all that is true and how, how detrimental them getting out at that moment was like, if they were actually hot on their trail or if they had time. And unfortunately the backlash against this movie isn't necessarily about that it just seems like a lot of people had a had a good time watching the movie like they were just entertained by it not emotionally heartbroken but i think the audience score says it all it's it's a good movie plus i have no idea matt what you think of it so i hope you liked it and i hope all of you listening to this who haven't seen it go and see it And let us know what you think, especially me. I really want to know what you think. So Operation Finale for me, four out of five. It's more than just a good flick. All right. So we are now ready for the spiel, and I don't have anyone to help me kick it off. So we'll just go. The music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NickTwit12345. You can, of course, climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. As always, we'd love for you to follow us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher radio as well as track us down in the old soundcloud and other podcast directories if you would like to support the show please do so by finding us over at patreon.com and very special thanks to johnny white trash at white trash show on twitter and johnny white trash on all the search engines and the social medias because he's awesome 
So, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Thaisa Farmiga, I get to say this. It's a crazy world, stardom. I don't even think of myself as a star. I just like to go to work. And I guess we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.